0: Have a holly, jolly Christmas. That's the best Halloween ever you. It's me, buddy! Hey, buddy, how you
1: going? Santa. It's me!
0: Who the heck are you? What are you talking about? I'm Santa Claus. No, you're not.
1: Uh, well, why, of course I am! <laughs>
0: You disgust me. How can you live with yourself?
2: Just cool it, Zippy.
0: You sit on a throne of lies. Look, I'm not kidding. You're a fake. I'm a fake? Yes. How'd you like to be dead? Huh? No, he's kidding. You stink. I think you're gonna have a good Christmas, all right? You smell like beef and cheese. You don't smell like Santa. Okay. (laughs) He's an apostolic (laughs) He's a fake!
2: 去
1: we'll be giving a theological debate of why Elf is the best Christmas movie this morning and uh, so take out your notes and pen and I'll tell you all the reasons why Uh, my name is Dominic I'm one of the pastors here glad to bring God's Word to you this morning Um, I don't know if you can relate totally to Buddy the Elf but I love Buddy the Elf's response Uh, if you remember the the scene right before that he gets so excited about the news of Santa Santa! he's jumping up and down and it's the right response that he has because he's so excited, he knows the one who's coming, and he's so excited to be with him. And he preps in, in anticipation for the coming of the one he's waiting for, and he, and he gets gimbals already ready and decked out, and, and he's doing Etch-a-Sketch stuff, and it's incredible, if you haven't seen it, go and watch it after this. But he's excited, and then, and then Santa comes, and he smells like beef and cheese instead of sweet, smelly, good things. And he's disappointed, and he's frustrated, Because the one that he's been waiting for, and anticipating, and prepping for comes, and it's not what he anticipated. I relate to that. It was 1992, it was Christmas morning, and for the last two years, a product had hit the market that had captivated this young 12-year-old's attention, and it was the Nintendo Game Boy. Anybody? Anybody have the Game Boy? Anybody? Dude, so jealous of you. Okay, so, foreshadowing, I didn't get it. So, sorry, spoiler alert. I was longing for this thing. Friends have had it. It was a five and a half by three and a half device that weighed eight ounces of pure glory on a two by two black and white screen. And I wanted to be Tetris master, and and this 12-year-old boy wanted that so bad. And I asked and asked and asked, and I said, this is what I want for Christmas. This is the only thing I want for Christmas. I want to be owning that sweet glory that is the Game Boy in these hands. And Christmas morning comes, and I open every present, and I'm trying to be thankful, but I'm anticipating, like, where's the gift that I want? And I open the sweater, and the Christmas pajamas, and, Grandma, thank you for the socks that you knit me, and that's really sweet, and I'm really excited, but I want the Game Boy. And there's one last present under the tree, and it's about the same size as what the Game Boy is. I look around at my parents and go, yeah, they're good save the best for last. <laughs> and I opened the box in anticipation of longing for the gift that I'd been waiting for. And to my surprise, it wasn't a Game Boy. It was this. Pause for effect. That's right. The kids' visual Bible, leather-bound, had my name engraved on it, pictures inside of it of Noah and the ark, and I was disappointed to say the least. But what do you say? I'm glad you laughed in church. I've told the story once before, and people were like, what's the problem? And I'm like, are you kidding? What's the problem? The 12-year-old wanted a Game Boy to give a Bible? What do you sp- I got Jesus juked, like what am I supposed to do? Thanks for the God's word, that's awesome! I was disappointed. Can I get an amen? Disappointed? Make sense? I fast forward now to my 20s, and a new product had hit the market. I'm realizing as I talk to you, I think there's maybe this love with technology in me, but I wanted this thing, and it was a new product that hit the market by Apple, and it was called the iPod Shuffle. Anybody remember this? Yeah, we're aging ourselves a little bit. I love the high schoolers like, what the heck is that exactly? It was like a USB stick when you removed it. Headphones went in there, and the rope went around your neck, and it could hold, wait for it, 100 songs. That's like 10 albums, guys. 100 songs. And oh, I wanted that iPod so bad. Just imagine myself getting in shape and doing whatever with it, and like so excited. And I opened all my presents, and I didn't get it. And the next day, my wife has a box for me. It says, I have one final gift for you. Don't be mad. And I thought, well, the box is about the same size, (laughs) same shape of what the iPod would come in. Why would I be mad? You're the best wife on the planet. You saw no one got it for me, or maybe you had it and you're waiting to just the anticipation and joy of seeing my face and going, your doting wife has given you this gift. You're welcome. And I open it with anticipation and exciting of what I've been longing for and waiting for. And I open it, and there's no iPod. Instead, there's this. Pause for effect. An EPT test. And I hold it a little bewildered and I go, it looks a little different than the commercial. <laughs> like same shape I get, like where do the headphones go. Not very smart. But so eventually I go, oh, oh. Awesome. We parents. I get Asher. There he is back there. You <laughs> but no iPod. Now, in retrospect, I didn't get the Game Boy that I wanted. I got a Bible, and I didn't get the iPod I wanted, but I got a son. In retrospect, now I can say both of those gifts that I were anticipating and the gifts that I received were better than what I was hoping for. See, instead of getting carpal tunnel and addicted to a screen, I got the joy of going outside and skating and surfing and riding my bikes with friends. It was called Fresh Air. And I built wonderful relationships with friends. And instead of the hundred songs that I was hoping for to get in an iPod that would be antiquated and outdated at this point, and I now have a 15 year old son who's amazing and I love. There were better gifts, but there was disappointment in the longing and waiting for what I hoped for and the expectation of what actually came. Similarly, Advent commemorates a time and a season of Israel longing and groaning and waiting for the one who's going to come and make things right. And he comes, but he comes differently than anticipated. And the gift that he gives is different, but I would argue is better than they had hoped for. Theologians call the advent time the already but not yet in what we live in. Already, because this side of the resurrection that we see that Jesus has come, He came, fulfilled all these prophecies. And yet now there's a longing period and a waiting period for his arrival and reunion with him. And I believe Advent and the story of Advent informs us of how we're supposed to live in the in-between time. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. As Matt talked about in the first series, we can tell that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. It doesn't take anybody very long to say, in the last 20 months or so, there's been hardships. But hardships and longing and waiting and disappointments have happened. Work isn't where you wanted it to be. Marriage isn't what it to be. Maybe you're single again, and we're anticipating raising kids on your own. You thought it was a forever commitment, and now you're a single parent. Your career track isn't taking off the way you had hoped it was. The home that you wanted is now out of your price range, and you can't get it. Parenting is hard. Marriage is hard. Relationships are hard. You're longing and waiting and groaning for some relief. And all signs are pointing to the way of the world is not the way it's supposed to be. In my own life, many of you have known that in the month of August, I lost three significant people in my life in a three-week time period. My sister, my aunt, and my grandma. And though it's still a little too early to say it's a gift that was given. I can cling to the iPod and the Game Boy to say that there's good in all things, and God is working in all things. I've entered a unique club. I see two guys in the room that they lost their moms around the same time, and there's like a text thread that I have with guys now. And there's this new gift of being able to engage and relate with people in a way that I'd never thought knew. And it reprioritized things that I never thought were important or had been shelved. In that way, it's a gift from God. And yet there's a longing and waiting and anticipation to be together with those that I lost. Maybe you can relate. My hope over the next few minutes is just to tell you the story of Advent to bring good news to those places if you feel like you're in the waiting room today, to remind you that God is good and faithful if you're so overjoyed and like Buddy the Elf jumping up and down, so excited that the King is here and that it would inform the way that we live in the in-between time. So can we do that together this morning? Yeah? You guys with me? Yeah. Let's pray. Good. I like participation. Let's get. Let's pray. God, In these next moments, would you show us that you are Emmanuel? The story of Christmas, the Christmas on display, is that God became flesh and is with us. For those in Christ, that you're in us and we're in you and you're for us this morning. And may the longing for what's to come grow in adoration and anticipation of what you're doing now in the not yet time. So have your way. Encourage us as only you can. In Jesus' name. Amen. If Christmas were a movie, I think if it was pitched to somebody, they would say, You need to go do some edits and rewrites. Because the opening credit looks like this God, before time existed, had a conversation with his son, three in one God, a triune God, has a conversation and says, Plan A is to bring rescue by sacrificing Jesus. That wasn't a mistake or a mishap or uh uh-oh, things went bad and it's out of my control and sovereignty. It was, that was plan A, let's execute plan A. And as the credits appear and as the screen opens to the first scene, we see waiting. And long periods of waiting. For me, I would attest that, that I have a diminishing capacity to wait. I get frustrated that my Amazon Prime didn't come that day, I have to wait the next day. The food that I want didn't come in five minutes, it took ten minutes to be prepared so that I can consume it. Waze gave me a, a, a route to get to the destination a little bit quicker, but then I got stuck in traffic and I didn't get there on time. But for Israel, they're waiting generation after generation, hoping, longing, waiting, anticipating. They're looking at each other going, hang in there. Hold on. The one who's going to come, he's going to be great. He's going to establish a kingdom. He's going to sit on a throne. It's going to be a throne that will be everlasting. And this is what he's going to be like. He's going to rule and reign. He's going to be just. And the expression of all the law that we've been living under will be fulfilled in the one that we're waiting for. And we'll be prosperous. We'll be at rest. And we can breathe again no longer under a yoke of slavery, but in freedom. And generation after generation after generation is telling each other of the one who's going to come. And generation after generation after generation is burying each other in hope and anticipation of the one who has yet to come. Do you see the scene? It's long. And it's laborious. And it's frustrating, and it's demoralizing at times, waiting, waiting, waiting. Scene two, we see that the Messiah finally comes, but he comes in a different way, and he, he comes in humility, as Ryan talked about last week. And he comes to take a throne that is a manger throne And in that manger, there's no fanfare. There's no royal procession. There's Jesus with Mary and Joseph, some animals, and some lowly shepherds. And then there's more waiting. The next story we see is in Matthew 2, that in Matthew 2 we see that there's these wise men called the Magi who come, and and I don't know where we got the number 3 from, Scripture gives no number, it's likely a large caravan that shows up because Herod is frustrated when the king of the Jews, Herod, gets told that these Magi come and say, we're looking for the king of the Jews who the star is pointing to, i.e. Herod, not you. The one that we've been longing for is here, he's the real king of the Jews. Could you help us find him so that we may come and worship him? Where's Israel been at this time? Enemies in the east are traveling weeks to come in a procession to come and bow and worship the king. And Israel's going, What are you talking about? We got to go look at the scriptures to see what he's talking about. And when they find out, it says that Herod's fearful. Uh-oh, the real king is here. And the magi follow the star, and then they show up in a procession to not infant Jesus, but likely toddler Jesus. Jesus is now in a home. and We find that Herod, when he finds that the magi don't return, says, go and kill everybody two and under. So likely, Jesus is walking and saying, Dada, Mama, who go? Two years has passed. And then from that moment, they give gifts of gold, saying, you're the king, frankincense, which is an anointing oil that was used in the temple of the Holy of Holies, and myrrh, which was also an anointing oil, very costly, and an embalming fluid. So a precursor to saying that Jesus was born to die. We see later in John 19 that Nicodemus, the same Pharisee that's having a conversation with the Messiah about rebirth is now the one anointing him with myrrh. And they lay them before his feet and say, you're the king. And they leave eventually, and then silence and waiting and longing. The next thing we hear about Jesus is that he's 12 and he's teaching in the temple, and he grows in wisdom and stature, and then waiting. Are you guys getting the theme? Waiting. And longing and hoping. And Jesus starts his teaching ministry from the time that we say maybe around 2 to 12. Now he's in his 30s starting his teaching ministry. And he's a polarizing figure at best. As C.S. Lewis said, he was either liar, lunatic, or Lord. That was true around those who were around him at the time. Some were ascribing him to the the word that was right, that you are the Messiah, you're the one that we've been waiting for. But others were saying, you're the one who's possessed with demons and you're casting out all these demons with the power of Beelzebub or Satan. He's got to go. And tensions are rising around Jesus. So much to the point where one day they're saying, here he comes on a colt riding down, fulfilling prophecy in Zechariah, laying down palm leaves and saying, Hosanna, save us. Save us now. You're the one we've been waiting for. Save us now. And then in the very next scene in breath, they're saying, crucify him. And his blood be on our heads and on the heads of our children and their children. Crucify him. And we see the disciples scatter and confused and fearful. Wait, I thought he was the one. I I just got to the place where he was the one that we've been waiting for and hoping for. And now the next scene is him on a cross, outstretched like a common thief and criminal. Beaten beyond recognition, as scripture would say, that he was beaten to the point of, I can't tell if that's a man. He hangs there, and he's chanting, oh, you're the king of the Jews, huh? Come on down. Do what you're supposed to do. Do what we're anticipating. You're the guy who was supposed to kick our butt, says Rome. You're the guy who was going to come and overthrow us, and, and look at you now. You can't even get off a cross. Where's your kingdom? This is it? Who wants to follow the kingdom of this guy? Anybody? Oh, his mom and John. And some Roman soldiers scoffing him. The amount of disappointment in those next three days and pain that those followers and observers of Jesus were experiencing, can you imagine? Life was supposed to be different than this. I I thought he was the one. I was sh- sure it was him. All signs point. He, was, he fulfilled Micah by saying that he was born in Bethlehem. And he fulfilled Numbers 24 that. It was a king was coming out of Israel. And he fulfilled uh, Psalm 72 when, when the Magi brought gifts because it said it was, somebody would bring gifts to him. It's got to be him. And yet we're burying him and he's dead. We go back to our trades and we're relegated to go back to being fishermen or tax collectors or whatever we were doing before you feel the disappointment and the frustration and the sadness and the longing and the expectation and the disappointment that comes when the gift that was supposed to be the Messiah doesn't turn out how they anticipated. But there was a better gift. I'm so thankful on this side of the resurrection that Jesus did not give the gift that Israel was longing for in that moment. Because if they did, he would have been one king for one people at one specific time. And we would not be here talking about him today. And we would not be the recipients of new life that comes for those in Christ this morning. We would not be recipients of the life that is free, where debt has been canceled, where dead people come to life, where hope and healing and joy come. Because Jesus had the foresight to give a better gift from the beginning of the foundations of the earth. That he would be king to all people, just as we see Gentile worshiping him with the Magi, that a kingdom would be open and expressed for all people through all time, through the finished and final work and sacrifice of Jesus. That is a buddy-the-elf moment to go, yeah! The best gift that could be given was given in Jesus, fulfilling what only he could do. And that's what we celebrate in the king that has come. What looked like defeat, Colossians says this, he says that, When you were dead, this is chapter 2, verse 13, in your sins and uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. Can I get a hallelujah? You guys are quiet. He made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, not some of our sins, not for a period of time, but all of our sins. He canceled the written code. He said, yeah, here's your bill. No more. Free. I'm glad that didn't catch on fire, by the way. (laughs) He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations. You're not bound by the law anymore. You're free. The law has been fulfilled in Jesus. The new law is this, live in love and grace in the same manner that the king of kings who came and humbled himself has done. Let his life now live in and through you. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them. That might be my favorite verse in the Bible. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. What was on display, what looked like defeat, was actually victory. So that now we get to say, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? For those in Christ, we get to stand in authority in the fullness of God, knowing how it ends. And though we're in the in-between time and at times, there's longing and groaning and moaning and waiting in anticipation of the arrival. We do not stand as people defeated. We publicly display to the community around us that we are victorious in Christ. That we are more than conquerors in Christ, that all things work together for those who are in Christ this morning. The longing and waiting of the world that is pining for something is longing for the church, the people of God, to live that truth out. To express that in word, thought, and deed, where we live, work, and play. That He is King, He is Lord. He is life, and he's made a public spectacle of anything you'll throw at us. From a manger throne to ruling in his right kingdom, he made a public spectacle triumphing over the cross. That's good news. So this Christmas season and this Advent season, I want to give simple good news to you. If you feel like you're in the waiting room of life this morning, and things aren't going as anticipated, and you relate to Buddy and me and Scripture saying we're longing for something, to come and make things right, you're not alone. Experientially, you're not alone, and you're not alone because of the gift of God that is Christ, Emmanuel, God with us for those walking around feeling defeated and feeling like I'm still struggling and I'm still I just I'm longing for heaven because I I can't stop doing this I'm prone to this the good news is this is that you are made alive in Christ that you are loved and fully accepted by Christ because of his better gift no longer earning and striving you are free You are his beloved. And for those who've never received that gift, that gift is available to you. We don't boast in ourselves or in our own efforts. We boast in him and him alone. The third good news is that there's reunion. He's coming. He's coming we may bury some more generations as we long for the one to come, but he's coming, and so we'll hold hope. For me, I can't wait to see lost family members and friends and saints of old to be with him in perfect union, in perfect peace. But more than that, I can't wait to see Jesus To physically be with him. Oh, and to see him and to know him fully. There is no heaven without that. There is no reunion if it's not reunited with him. And my hope for us as a church is that we're longing for that. This is what I think heaven's going to look like. You ready? Whenever that comes, let's say a trumpet sounds. I think heaven, the first million years, is going to look like this. And then the next thing going to be like, are you kidding me right now? That's Jesus. Oh, no. Oh, my gosh. He's coming to me. I feel weak in the knees. Wow. And then maybe after a couple million years, it'll be like, Jesus, can you replay that tape of where you made a public spectacle of death? See, I, Peter talked about you grabbing the keys from Hades in defeating death and sin. Would you play that again? I want to see that. Would you would you play again when like you were walking on water and you yelled at Peter and he was didn't have enough faith. Like cuz it seems like to me he had pretty good faith. He's the only guy who stepped out on the boat. Oh man, look at I wish I had it. I wish I had more faith like that. Oh, I'm so glad for the finished work of you. I'm so glad you didn't base it on my merit. Jesus, would you show me again the scene in the garden where you and the Father who are in perfect union together, you, you're, you're there and you're saying, if there's any other way, and you're, and you're sweating blood, would you, would you take me through your thought process, Jesus, where you looked out and you said, yeah, but if there was another way I'd do that, but, but then you thought of me in that moment? You thought of Dan in that moment? You thought of Holly in that moment. You thought of Tim in that moment. You thought of John in that moment. You thought of Catherine in that moment. You thought of Jonathan in that moment. You thought of Sydney in that moment. Would you, would you, would you play that again? Oh, man. That's awesome. You You loved me that much? Oh, man. Reunion's coming, and we can't wait. I hope that fills your heart with hope. I can't wait to be with him. Until then, may we be found in him. Maybe we be loving and living generously the way he does. John 3:16, he gave. First John 3:16, We give in the manner that he did. And I'll tell you that giving looks like this in the new paradigm that I've learned to live in. It looks like sitting and being quiet a lot. It looks like listening to the world around me and listening to my neighbor. And not just listening and checking off the list, but like waiting. The message of Advent is to wait and sit and lean in and love. that's the good news this morning church the good news of the Christmas story that God who is rich in mercy came humbled himself took on a death that was meant for me and you rose again in victory so that we could have life and then ultimately be reunited with him amen amen I'm gonna invite the band back up and as a way to practice this remembrance we're gonna go into a time of communion there's elements to the left and right of me, and we're gonna grab those, and Kent's gonna come up and lead us in time of communion this morning.
2: Don, thank you for that great message and remembrance of uh, what the Christmas season is all about. Thank you. Uh, good morning, I'm Kent Koykendall. Uh, I serve on your elder board and have the privilege of leading us in communion this morning. Um, as, uh, as was said, uh, outside we have the elements in the self-serve cups, and inside we have them on uh, self-serve on both sides. Um, what we ask is when the band starts playing, uh, that uh, you just get up when you are ready, and either by yourself or with someone you are with, uh, and just say these words either to yourself or to the person you're with. As re- this is a very tangible uh, reminder, one of the most tangible reminders, that Jesus gave us to remember him and what he did for us. uh, And that he came down to earth and lived among us and never to forget that, uh, to save us not only from our sins, but to give us um, a beautiful life. So the very night he was betrayed, he broke the bread and said, take and eat in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and passed it around and said, this is my blood shed for you for the forgiveness of many. Let's pray. Jesus, we just thank you. God, we thank you for sending your son in such humility on Christmas to fulfill the purpose of you bringing us together with you. Lord, we thank you for your glory, for your Majesty, and for loving us so much to send your only begotten Son down to live among us, and to teach us about you, and to be one with you, In Jesus' name, Amen. I
0: love uh, the message. Thank you, Dom, for the message. And and as I think about, I was sitting there thinking about that today, and just that longing, that waiting for something some of us in here maybe you feel like that's you that you've been waiting you've been waiting for just wondering god are you even real will you make a difference maybe you're expecting one thing and the whole time god's been whispering to you saying i'm here i love you inviting you in and the part i was thinking about on that waiting is even as we end uh, our time and we're singing in a different language which is part of our vision which uh, I'm surrounded. I, I don't know what it is. I keep hiring this super talented staff. This is amazing, is it? I am, I am out of place. <laughs> have such an amazing team here. Um, I'm in trouble. I can just tell you that much. Uh, but when we're singing this song in, in, in two languages, as, as you know, our vision is that uh, uh, soon we'll be launching a Sunday morning gathering that will be in Spanish. It'll be happening at the same time as the English one. And the reason is because we want to reach our community. We know 50% of the neighborhood that we're in. Spanish is their first language. But when I hear that, I was thinking of, in Scripture, Paul writes in Romans, he says, all creation eagerly awaits. It's groaning with this birth pains, just growing pains, waiting for God to be revealed in fullness, for the new heaven, the new earth, the recreation. And right now, we're creation groans because there's brokenness, there's strife, even between cultures and languages and people. But one day, that's all going to be fixed. And one day, every tribe and tongue and and every color of skin is going to be together worshiping the Lord in unity and love. And so for us, we want to be a picture of that now. And so I, I love the vision that we have, and I love that Tangible reminder and picture of that, of two languages, one church. So we have a lot to look forward to. Uh, Thank you for leading us this morning. Uh, I'm going to pray for you as we end our time. And I want to encourage you again as the end of the year is coming up. Two things. If you are looking for a way to just help us finish the year strong financially, giving to the vision for the future, we want to encourage you to do that. Uh, It's a big part of all your gifts. We're so grateful for what you've done to support us through the years. Uh, The end of the year is coming. I know some of you think through the end of year giving. And I did want to give you two cool updates. One, thank you so much for adopting the family. Seacoast adopted over 115 families for our Seacoast holiday baskets. As well as our single moms ministry. Uh, In that first week, you guys gave over $5,000 to help our single moms have uh, Christmas uh, this year. So thank you for doing that. Uh, I'm going to pray for you as we end our time. God, we thank you so much for today. I thank you for the people of Seacoast and the hearts you've given them. Thank you for those of us who've been transformed by you. And God, right now, for anyone in this place who does not yet know you, maybe they've wandered away from you, they believe, but they've been wandering, God, would you call them home today? Welcome them back in. Remind them that they're forgiven, that they're loved, in that sometimes we've been looking for the wrong gift, and you've been there all along. So would you shape and change our hearts? Let us remember our, that we're forgiven and that we're in you. And as we go, people of Seacoast, may you go now filled with the Spirit. Will you be a tangible display of the gift of Jesus this season to all you encounter? In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming out. Look forward to seeing you next week. Next Sunday, our kids are having their annual uh, seek, or their Christmas kind of celebration on Sunday morning, their performance. So it'll be a lot of chaos and cuteness. We want to come to the gatherings next Sunday. Thanks for being here. We look forward to seeing you next week.